0: you chloe well done good stuff and uh happy sunday hub city how you doing yeah. Woo it's good it's good easter's fast and quickly approaching we're making our way through uh portions of the corinthian letters all year long we're breaking it up into these mini series uh and we're starting a new series as chloe talked about talking about money yeah. yeah, who's excited to talk about money, right? Today, as we, as we start for three weeks talking about it, I, I imagine the next two weeks will be our lowest attendance ever. No, I'm just kidding. But I think we would all agree as we talk about these Corinthian letters, we, we're calling it, It's Complicated. And we're hitting these complicated issues of money and building the church and sexuality and the Holy Spirit. And, and we're talking about these ideas. And when you talk about church and money, how many of you would agree that it's complicated? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. I was at Starbucks the other day, and the barista uh, knew me by name, and he said, Sean, what are you working on? And I said, I'm working on my sermon. And he, he knows I'm a pastor here in town. He's like, oh, yeah? Oh, cool. And I, I just said, yeah, I'm writing a sermon about money. And he's like, oh. right and it made me pause because i even thought about like maybe i shouldn't tell them that i'm talking about money Uh, and and it makes us when we think about church and money it makes us and it makes our culture cringe why why do you think that is shout out a a word or, or short phrase of why church and money makes people cringe just shout it out get pentecostal shout out a word what Prosperity gospel makes people cringe with church and money. What else? Scam. Scam. Come on now. Glory. Shout it out. What makes you cringe when we talk about money in church? Judgment. False beliefs. False beliefs. That's it. What? Worshiping for the wrong idea, misunderstandings of uh, why we give, right? How about just greed? Anybody worry that the church is greedy? You think, why do you think our culture cringes when we talk about money? Yell that out. Status, right? How many in our culture think that all the church wants is their money? They just want me to give my money to it, right? Uh, The the perception of the mishandling of funds within church. Bad choices by leaders within churches have led to embezzlement and the misuse of funds and the mishandling of funds. And they're worried that, Sean, if I give to Hub City, you're going to get a jet. (laughs) No? You're not worried about that? Don't worry. My wife hates flying, so it's not going to happen. But Paul is talking about this real issue with the Corinthian church, money. It's real. We can't escape money and our our connection to money. And and, and what he's seeing in that culture thousands of years ago is the same thing we see here, which is the Christians of Corinth and the Christians of today have been characterized as takers. Christians have been categorized and known as takers, consumers, hoarders. And Paul is trying to change the narrative and say, no, Christians need to be considered givers. Look at the buzzword. And Chloe just read these verses that we just read. And in the short passage that we just had read, seven times Paul uses the word generous and generosity. That's the buzzword for today. Generosity. Buzzword. You know, with generosity and generous and all of these things, because what he's trying to get them to see is the church isn't meant to be consuming and taking. Christians should be characterized by their, in their culture by their generosity, by their giving. And what we'll see over the course of these three weeks is as we put Jesus at the center of our lives, we live different. We're going to see that over the whole series. But as we put Jesus at the center of our lives, we live different. If we put Jesus at the center of our finances, we give different. And I think that that is Paul's heart in all of this. And so he starts with this idea in this passage with trying to convey God's generosity, that we worship and follow a God who he himself has been generous with you you and with me, and that God's generosity should compel us to be generous people. God's generosity should compel us to live generously. And he starts with this idea of God is generous. And we look at the passage in verses 8 and and, and 10 that Chloe just read, right? And we see the generosity of God. It says, God will generously provide all you need. God will generously provide all you need. Verse 10, for God is the one who provides seed for the farmer and and then bread to eat. In the same way, he will provide and increase your resources. God is the giver. God has been generous. Everything we have is a gift from our God. And Paul is trying to get them to see everything as a gift, right? To see everything, their apartment, their truck, their 401k, their savings account, their checking account, into the food in their cupboards. Everything is a gift from God. And thinking about it this week, how many of us struggle to see everything as a gift from God? Because we have this inner conflict of, yes, some of that may be from God, but some of that I earned. I worked hard for that. I went to college for how many stinking years to get that paycheck, right? You worked up the ladder to get to that promotion, to get to that pay grade, right? You did all these things. You pulled yourself up by your bootstraps. You hard-earned money. It's my money. And it it causes us to think about where does our money come from? Where does our stuff come from? When we can think of it as, well, it's mine and I earned it and it, it, it's well-deserved and I'm entitled to it. Or do we look at everything as a gift? Not by my efforts or my earnings or my entitlements, but everything that I have is a gift from God. The air in my lungs, the house over my head, the clothes on my back, the truck that I drive, and the money in my account, however much or little it is, is a gift from god. And I think the Corinthian church has lost that perspective. And I think we can lose that perspective. And instead of seeing everything as a gift, we view it as mine and we Paul is kind of having to parent the Corinthian church much like any parent has to parent their kid or grandparents have to parent their grandkids, right? Cuz how many grandparents you buy your kid a bag of sour patch or Parents, you bought them candy, right? And you're like, here's this giant bag of Sour Patch with this bag of M&Ms, and they're eating and devouring these M&Ms. And you lean over and you're like, hey, can I have a few? And the kid goes, mine. And they just like turn into Gollum, right? And they're just like, this is my precious. And you're like, are you kidding me? I just bought you two and a half pounds of Sour Patch. You can't spare three? Just a couple. Just, just put a few morsels of Sour Patch in my hand, kid. Mine! <laughs> when we did that as kids and we see that in our kids or our grandkids, we see that at any kid, right? And it's a lesson that they have to learn. And I think Paul is trying to teach the Corinthian church because we as adults do the same thing except for it's not Sour Patch, kids. It's our checking account. It's our savings. It's our 401ks. It's our paychecks. It's our stuff. We look at it and we say, yeah, that's great, God. You gave it to me. No, It's mine! back off. And they're struggling because Paul is, is at this point in his letter encouraging the Corinthian church to give to a collection being used to help the Christians that are far away over in Jerusalem. Corinth is not close to Jerusalem, but he's collecting these funds to be delivered to Jerusalem. And, and you got this Corinthian audience that's saying, yeah, that's nice, but this is mine. I don't know if I want to give to that. Their problems are their problems. This is Mine. And so Paul is having to parent them and say, let's look at everything we have differently. We have to look at everything that we have as a gift. And why is he helping us see that? Why is he challenging them to see how generous that their God is? To see everything as a gift from their God. If I view my money differently, I will use my money differently. If I view it as mine, then I'll hold on to it tight. If it's all a gift, I'm gonna, be, I'm gonna treat it differently. And our generous God wants us to be generous. During this section, we see that God has been generous to people, right? He's provided the seed for the farmer, and the bread to eat, and he, he will generously provide everything that you need. But tied into each of those verses, and then some, multiple times, Paul doesn't just say, look at what God will give you, but he'll give us the reason, because a generous God wants us to be generous. Verse eight, he says, and God will generously provide all you need. Then you will have everything that you need, plenty left over to share with others. Share, give a little sour patch. Verse 10, in the same way, he will provide and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. He's been generous to us so that there will be a harvest of, of your 401k security blanket, isn't it? No, that's not what Paul says. Paul doesn't say God has been generous to you so go buy a second house or a jet or live in luxury or have a greater security blanket or nest egg. God has been generous to you, as verse 10 says, to do what? To create a harvest of generosity. Verse 11, yes, you will be enriched in every way, not just financially, You will be enriched in every way so you can always be, finish it, generous. generous. This is the heart of our God. He is a generous God so that we will be generous people. Because his kids are meant to be called and characterized and seen as generous people. That's what Paul is saying. Look at everything you have as a gift and then be willing to give it away. The problem is, is that it's really hard to be generous when I live my life in a clenched fist. And a lot of times with our stuff and with our money and everything that we have, we clench our fists around it. We cling to it, right? Everybody, just clench your fists right now. There's gonna be a picture of it if you don't know what I'm talking about. Just clench your fists really tight. And think about, this is how some of us live our lives with our stuff. How hard is it to be generous when this is our lifestyle? When we view our stuff as my stuff, and we hold tightly to it with worry and fear and anxiety and self-sufficiency, When we hold tightly onto it with a greed and materialism that we say, this is mine, not yours, it is really hard to let go. I don't want to let go. Because God, this is mine. And you've blessed me with this. Hallelujah. And I'm going to hold tightly to it because I don't want to lose it. But Jesus said, if you cling to your life, You're going to lose it. And so the approach that Paul is trying to teach them is more of an open-handed approach. That anything he puts in your hand is a gift. And when your hands are open, it's easier to give that gift away. That is the lifestyle that Paul is trying to cultivate in the Corinthian church. Everything we have is a gift, and it is meant to be given away. Because a generous God wants us to be generous. I mean, consider the farming metaphor, right? In verse 6, he says, remember this, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. Now, this is not a stock market tip. What this is, though, is an illustration to show us the true open-handed nature of our generosity. When you plant seeds in your garden, those of you that have green thumbs, I do not, They are terrible. I have a black thumb. I just kill it, right? They're just like a plague. I will will destroy everything that I touch in a garden bed. But those of you that have a green thumb, you plant seeds. How many of you go dig those seeds back up? No, when you plant a seed, you let it go, right? Correct me if I'm wrong. I am the garden killer. When you plant a seed, you let it go. You put it in the dirt, and you wait, and you see what will happen. Nobody plants a seed and then says, nah, you know, I think I want that back. No, you generously just put seeds and seeds and seeds and do your thing and plant them and go and do, and then you give it away. Give it away. You give the seeds away. And that is our heart with generosity. That's what Paul is trying to convey. Give it away. Generously lay it all out. Let it go. Plant it and then see the harvest that it brings. Because our generosity is going to bring a harvest. Harvest. And here's a question, what kind of harvest does our generosity bring? It may not always reflect in your bank account, which is what people get excited about. Oh, if I give this, I'm going to get tenfold. I'm going to get twentyfold. I'm going to get a hundredfold, you know? But there may not be a fold that is going to affect your billfold. It may be a different kind of harvest. And Paul talks about the things that we're going to see. What are we going to see when we are generous? What kind of harvest do we produce when we're generous? One is we are going to see practical needs being met. Right? This is the first thing that we see in verse 12. He says, the needs of believers in Jerusalem will be met. So Paul is collecting all these funds to help the people in Jerusalem who are in poverty. And when we give to that, or, well, we, they did, (laughs) when the Corinthians gave to that, they were going to literally meet practical needs for people. That's a harvest. When we generously give, we meet needs. We meet needs in the church. When you give to the church, it meets needs for people in your church. When you give outside of your church, you're meeting needs outside of your church. You see, the idea here is that when we show generosity, we are meeting a need, a practical, tangible need. We support missionaries overseas. We support Camp Amos down in Chiapas, right? And we're providing practical needs with those funds. We provide funds for Friendship House so that they can continue to do what they're doing. We meet practical needs for people. We have a benevolence fund to help people in practical need moments, to generously meet their needs practically. We give to Foursquare Missions. To do what? To meet practical needs. That's an exciting thing. We do it every year at Christmas with our Advent giving. You're giving to practical things. You're not just giving to some arbitrary fund. We're we're giving out of our generosity, and the harvest that we see is needs get met. How many of you want to see needs get met? Yes. You want the hungry to be fed. You want the naked to be clothed. You want the homeless to be sheltered. You want those hurting to be helped. The other harvest that we see in Paul's letter in verse 11 and 12 is what's gonna happen. It's gonna lead to praise. So practical needs and praise. He says in 11 and 12, they will thank God. The recipients, the people that have their needs met are going to thank God and they will joyfully express their thanks to God. When needs are met, people see that as an answer to prayer. They see God show up in these practical, tangible ways. They've been praying earnestly for that. I was a recipient of that one time. Well, multiple times, not just one time, but I, there was one I can vividly remember where we were in a really difficult time um, about 10 years ago. It was prior to coming here, and, and I remember Kinley, our, our middle child, was just born, and there was a knock at the door and, and a, giant stuffed envelope, a giant stuffed elephant for her. It was bigger than she was because she was a newborn, and an envelope of cash, and we thank God. I, I wept in my living room because I had been praying, God, I don't know how you're going to pray. We were just hemorrhaging cash because I was working part-time jobs because minimum wage doesn't meet the minimum needs. And there was a, a real stress in our home. I was talking to somebody yesterday at Maverick's birthday party at Chuck E. Cheese. We're sitting there, talk, Chuck, Chuck E. Cheese. And he's telling me this one time he needed a van. And one time he was at church, not our church, but a different church. And a guy walked up to him, a leader in that church at the time, and said, hey, I heard you needed a vehicle. He's like, yeah. He said, how about I swap my van for your truck? You ready? And this guy, he needed more seatbelts because his family was growing. And this guy, just he's just like, all I could do was praise God. How would anybody know? It's an answer to prayer. And what Paul is saying is when, when needs get met, things that you've been on your knees praying for and contending for, Man, those things show up in in those tangible ways. People end up praising God. How many of you want more people in your world praising Jesus, following Jesus, seeing Jesus show up in real, tangible, practical ways? Not just this ethereal God. Sometimes it is that moment where, wow, something showed up, something answered a prayer, and it builds their faith, and they thank God for that. It's also a great question or a great reminder, not a question, a great reminder for us about when we give and the, and the harvest of praise that happens, it is a good reminder for us of who's getting the credit for our generosity. Because who's being praised? It's a really simple softball question. i just lob it up for you. Who's getting the praise, according to Paul? God is. The Corinthian church is not being honored and praised. He's not talking about tax deductions on their income tax. He's not talking about giving statements. He's not talking about credit or thank you cards or anything like that. What is he saying? They will thank Jesus for your generosity. And that our generosity will lead to the credit of Jesus in people's lives. God is going to use that generosity to draw them closer to Him, not us. The third thing that I, I see in Paul's letter, the third harvest that we see practical needs, praise, and get ready. Can you guess? It starts with a P, because that's the way I roll. If it alliterates, it's from Jesus. <laughs> proof, I didn't steal this either, it was divine. Proof, it proves that your faith is real. I'm serious, I didn't like Google like cool points to make about generosity. It's in this passage that we see that Paul says that people will see the proof of the gospel at work in your life. Verse 13. For your generosity to them and to all the believers will prove, see, I didn't make it up, will prove that you are obedient to the good news of Christ. In a world of skeptics, in a world where people view Christians as takers, Paul is saying, live different so they view you as givers. And they will see something different about you. Your faith isn't about what I can get out of you and take from you about what I have for you. Think about the gospel message, because that's what Paul is tying this back to. It's the gospel message at work. He's not giving because he's a nice guy. He's not saying, be nice people. Be really religious people. Notice there's nothing about percentages in this passage either. It's about generosity. But he's not saying, do it out of religious obligation, He's saying do it because the gospel has changed you from the inside out because Jesus has changed the way that you view your life and your your future and your hope and your eternity and it changes the way you view your moments right now and it changes the way you view your stuff. Think about the gospel, though, and and the gospel is one of generosity. Not of financial generosity, but of grace generosity. Jesus gave, what percentage did Jesus give so that you could be whole with God? Let's just ask that question. Again, lobbing it up for you. I'm going to do this to six-year-olds because I'm coaching Little League now, so I'm getting really used to Just lob them up, right? What percentage did Jesus give so that you and I could be in wholeness with our God? A hundred percent. Is that generous? To give a hundred percent of your life so that somebody else could be right with God. Is that generous? Absolutely Jesus gave 100% in order to bring you and I into right relationship with our God. And when we believe that, when we accept that, when we are transformed by that, forgiven, given a new hope and a new future and a new life and a new identity, that gospel message, when we receive that message, that's not, Jesus didn't die on the cross for your finances, right? He died on the cross for your soul. But when he transforms you from the inside out by that kind of grace, It doesn't just change your eternity. It changes the way you engage today. And that's what Paul's saying. People will see that that is real. You aren't just talking about following Jesus. It will prove that you are obedient to the good news. You will stand out in a world of skeptics and doubters and people that view us as takers because they'll see a God at work in you that wants to bring real change from the inside out. And as I said earlier, when we put Jesus at the center of our lives, it changes the way we live. We put him at the center of our finances, it changes the way we give. And so that's, that's today's big idea. And so what we're going to do, we're going to try something as a church in the coming weeks. And so uh, before I describe what we're going to do, don't, don't put it up on the screen yet, uh, but what we do first, we're going to try something, and I want everybody to take an envelope. Tyler, will you help just get these started. A bucket's going to get passed to every section uh, here. There you go, Rochelle. Just take, take an envelope, unmarked, and make sure it uh, makes its way all the way to the back there. Everybody gets an envelope uh, to, to go here. It's just a blank, unmarked envelope. Don't open it. Oh, I'm going to really test you now. I'm going to really test you now. Some of you are just like, oh, We're going to try something, and I'll tell you what, I I told the barista at Starbucks about this, because again, I told you what I was, uh, he asked me, what are you doing? And so I explained this idea of what we're going to, are some of you opening it? It's a very quiet room, I can hear that tear, I'm just kidding. Make sure the buckets make all the way to the back, just grab an envelope, pass it all the way back. And then uh, our connections team will collect the buckets in the back for any extras. But I told the barista about this, and, uh, and he was like, man, I don't, I don't go to church, but that's awesome. That's really cool. I'm excited to, to hear about what that looks like and what, what you guys are up to. Um, I told somebody else at the bank about this, doesn't go to our church, and uh, she's just like, thank you so much for telling me this. It's challenging the way I view my life. And I was just like, whoa, okay, we're on to something. This is exciting. Uh, so i tell you what, I'm, I'm excited to do this and excited to explain this. Uh, everyone got an envelope? Wave it in the air. Woo, if you are watching online, uh, I, I don't have an envelope to send through the screen, but you can email me at sean at thehubcitychurch.com and we'll get you one of these envelopes and you can participate online. So everybody say, we're all in this, right? Yeah, woo, uh, all right. Now, you don't need to open it, but inside the envelope, what you have is uh, a random designation of cash. And then inside there is a card for our generosity challenge. And this is what you are being challenged to do, is to take the money that is inside of there and to go bless somebody. Go do something good. Go honor and bless somebody. Can we show the next slide there, just with the instructions? Yeah. So this is what we're gonna do. We're gonna take a moment and you're gonna pray. Because the money that's in that envelope, right? And this is the card that's in there, so you don't have to open it up. But the money that's inside of there, is is—is that a gift to you? Yes, it is a gift. Did anyone earn that money? Show of hands, no one earned it. Anyone entitled to it? Deserving it? No, it's a gift. The amount of money that is in that envelope is a gift to you. Now what are you going to do with it? Somebody said, get coffee. (laughs) So I want you to prayerfully consider how you'll bless somebody (laughs) to buy their coffee. Think about what you could do. Buying a coworker their coffee, taking someone out to lunch, paying for somebody's gas, bringing Gatorades to t-ball practice, buying flowers for your neighbor, putting gas in your lawnmower and then going and mowing their lawn. That, that still qualifies. But I want you to pray about it. Maybe you drive by somebody every day on your commute and you're gonna buy that person lunch. But I want you to pray about how you're gonna use that money to make an impact and to be generous with somebody else. And you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna just pray about it and then you're gonna go do it. At any time in the next couple weeks, I want you to just go do this and then what we want you to do is tell the story. And so on the card inside is a blank spot for you to tell your story. And you can bring it back to church and put it in the offering or the collection box, or for those of you that want to lose the card, you can scan this and do it digitally. Do it right from your phone and fill in your story electronically. You don't need to put your name. You can if you want to, but you don't have to put your name, but just tell the story of what you did and what you saw, the impact that you saw the need being met. And what I challenge you to also reflect on is the change that God was doing in you. Because when we view everything as a gift, the change isn't just happening externally, it's happening internally. And I want you to record that story and I want you to share that story and I'm excited to think about some of the stories that we're gonna gather in doing this as we go out into our world and we bless the people that we come in contact with. But the goal is to get a taste of what it means that everything is a gift. Because if you can view that cash in that envelope as a gift, what, what will it be like when you view everything as a gift? And that's what I told to the barista. And that's what I told to the, the, the bank teller when I was getting all these low denominational bills. <laughs> and a very specific number of bills. I was like, why do you need so many fives? And I explained it to her, and I said, if I can view $20 as a gift, $15 as a gift, and give that away, and begin to view everything that I own as a gift, man, oh man, I get to participate in what God wants to do. And I treat it differently, and not just my money, I'll treat my time differently. If I view my time as a gift, I'm going to use my time differently. If I view every breath that I have as a gift, I'm going to use it differently and I'm excited about this. Now, some of you may choose to abstain from participating. That's up to you. You can drop it into the collection box on your way out if you choose to abstain. Your name's not on it, no one will know. But I'm really excited. I'm excited. And, And this passage in verse seven, you must decide in your heart how much to give. Don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. There's no pressure. But God loves a person who gives cheerfully. I am cheerfully and excitedly giving you these funds, this seed money, if you will, right? God gives the seeds to the farmer to go plant, right? So yeah, it's biblical, it's seed money. I'm excited, it is a joy for me to give this to you, but it is a joy to give. Some of you right now are just stirring with excitement of, ooh, what could I do? What are the possibilities? For God loves a person who gives cheerfully. Again, when I was talking to these two, two people that don't go to our church about it, it got them excited. They're excited for you, and they don't even go. They, don't even, they were like, what's the name of your church again? You know, I, had to, I had to say it again. But that word cheerfully, right? God loves a person who gives cheerfully. In the original language, is this word that's a lot like the word hilarious. In fact, our modern-day word for hilarious in the English language comes from the root Greek word that Paul uses there which I believe is like hilario. So God loves a person who gives hilariously, audaciously, radically, laughably. A hilarious generosity, a laughable generosity, an audacious generosity. But there's an excitement to going and doing this. And, and, and I imagine for many, there's gonna be an excitement to put these things into action and go do something and you'll get a taste of what we can experience with everything that God has given us. Because that is the heart of our God. He has generously and cheerfully given us everything. Everything that he, he can. That is his heart towards us. He has been generous to us so that we can go as his children and go be generous. And God loves his children to be cheerful givers. That's what that verse says. He loves it when his kids get this idea of being audacious givers. Laughable Givers, ridiculous, hilarious, radical givers. God's generosity compels us to live generously. So I want to give us a moment to just stop and begin to pray about the envelope in your hand. Can we do that? Yes, we can. So let's pray. Jesus, our heart in all of this, our intent in all of this is to put you at the center of our lives. We can't embody your character if we don't first invite you into the center of our heart, into the center of our lives. Even right now, church, I just want to give an opportunity for anybody that wants to say yes to putting Jesus at the center of their life. Anyone that wants to say yes to following Jesus for the first time or the first time in a long time, nobody's looking around, but if that's you today, I I can't ask or expect or demand you to live like Jesus if, if, if you haven't said yes to Jesus. And so even in this moment right now, if you want to just say yes to putting Jesus at the center of your life, to experience the forgiveness for your sins and your mistakes and your past, to embrace his love for you and to be welcomed in as a child of God. If you want to say yes to that, would you just raise your hand? I just want to pray for you. Praise God. Jesus, I pray right now for the hand in the room and, and any hands represented online. God, we say yes to you, Jesus. Church, can we just pray together? You just repeat after me and and just declaring that idea of saying yes to putting Jesus at the center of our life. Can we do that together? Yes. Yes, we can. Jesus, come into my heart. Be the center of my life. Be my king. Be my savior. Be my friend. Forgive me of my sins, wash me clean, and give me a new start in you. Thank you for loving me. May I follow you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. In an attitude of prayer, I just want to pray for you for whoever is coming to mind. Can I just pray for you? Pray again. Put your head down. Let's pray. I got caught up in the moment. I can't expect you to say yes to doing Jesus stuff if you aren't saying yes to Jesus, right? That doesn't make sense. It doesn't compute to me, but so I got a little wrapped up in that, but let's just, let's pray right now to go be bold in saying yes to doing Jesus stuff this week, to be like Jesus in our community. Jesus, I pray right now for the envelope in our hand, The name on our heart, the face that is being imprinted on our heart right now, the act of kindness and generosity and love that we get to take part in because of this. God, you're a generous God. And I pray that we would be generous people. Help us to remember it's more than a cup of coffee, it's more than a meal. It is your love being put into action. We love you, Jesus. We pray that you make an impact in this world through your church. In your name we pray. Amen. If you want more information on Hub City Church, find us at thehubcitychurch.com. Thanks for listening.